The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. John would not even put his name on the letters that he wrote. He only said that he was the one whom God loved. Luke only used we and us in the book of Acts. James would only refer to himself as the brother of Jesus Christ. Friends, son of man, must, he must stand on his feet, but he must remember that only God can stand him up. Christian, are you humble before what God wants you to do, or are you proud with what God wants you to do? Are you able to say, God, wherever, whenever, whomever, send me, or God, you know what? I don't like those terms. Can we negotiate? Well, that doesn't work too well, because God doesn't go by the art of a deal book. He goes by whether we're faithful to him or not. So that's verse one. Second thing is this, the ingredient of the calling of God. Not only will you be addressed, but secondly, you're going to be affected. Look at verse two. Look at verse two. Notice the effect that he felt. Not only did he say, stand up, but, but I want you to get this. As he, as, as the pre-incarnate Christ spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. I don't know how this worked, but God thought Ezekiel needed a little divine help. Have you ever had to stand someone up before? We, we have to do this occasionally with our kids. You know, we're pouty and we're, we're just in a mode and you've got to stand them up because we're just going to lay on the floor because that's what we want to do. No, you're going to stand up. God literally had to do that to Ezekiel here. He would be affected. He would be affected first off in the fact that God was going to use him in ways he had never known, in spiritual experiences he had never seen. The Spirit stood him up and sat him on his feet. In the Old Testament, and, and, and Richard and, and some of us have gone through the study, um, it's a great study. Sinclair Ferguson has a book called The Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson, Holy Spirit. He talks about how in the Old Testament, God would come on the humble and empower them. But when they departed into sin, like Saul or Samson, the Spirit left them. And so all God would ask the Old Testament people to do is simply to be faithful, simply to follow me. And to the people he is speaking to, Ezekiel needed to know that God was going to be with him, that God was going to stand him up, God was going to be his strength, God was going to be the one behind him. And that's a great reminder to us, as Tori will put up. Everything God calls you to do, He gives you a greater grace to get through. I mean, think about it for a second. Ezekiel has been given an impossible task. There's nothing he can do. It's foolishness. God even told him the people are going to reject him. Now, come on. If you had $50,000 to invest and you knew that if you invested with a certain person that you would never see any of your money back, how many of y'all would sign up for that venture? Come on. You wouldn't do it. Of course you wouldn't do it. Even capitalistic, entrepreneurial-type Americans we are, we would not do it. That's, that's a waste of my time, and especially a waste of my hard-earned money. But God tells him, Ezekiel, it's not your time. You have to be humble. And secondly, you're going to be affected. This is going to affect you. I am going to change your life in ways you don't want to be changed. And you only thought marriage did that to you. God changes you all the time to prepare you for things that he is working for you to do in the future and now. 
you know, it's amazing how often God has changed you and you don't even realize it anymore. That the old you would have looked at a situation and said, yeah, I don't think so, God. But the new you says, okay, God. Because as Spurgeon said, you're either going to be humble or you're going to be humble, right? That's every parent's talking uh, discipline and action to their kids. Either you're going to be humble or you're going to be humble. You can sit down, but the kid says, I'm not going to sit down, but I'm standing in my head, right? That's not the way it works. And he said, you're going to be affected, but he's going to give you grace. He's going to be with you. What greater strength do we have than the Holy Spirit of God lives within us? We have the third person of the Holy Trinity within us to help us fight sin, to help us in our calling, to help us move forward. At church, we have the Spirit among us as well. All the great plans that we can make at this church are nothing unless the Spirit leads them. This morning at at, at the uh, godly but dark hour of 7.30, the men's ministry leaders got together, and we have some some plans for the men's ministry, but we're going to be praying about those. And each one of them said, you know, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And how much does Ezekiel need to live that, learn that? He was affected. God was working in his life, but he needed to remember that God was going to be the one calling the shots. All right. Number three. Not only will you be affected, not only will you be addressed, but number three, you're going to be assigned. Okay, you know what's going to happen? Sports timeout. Sports moment for a second. For If you're not a sports fan, just bear with us. We're going to have the Super Bowl in like three weeks. You know that. But you know what's going to happen after that? As soon as that last timeout goes, they're going to say, yay to the team that won the Super Bowl. Now let's talk about the NFL draft. And then for the next two months, we're going to talk about how tall a guy can jump, how big his hair is, and everything else in between. Where's that guy going to go? Who are the Chiefs going to draft? Who are they not going to draft? Who are going to trade? And that's going to be a talk like this. And after a while, I'm a sports fan slang. Just go draft the guys, right? Stop talking about it. But they have to be assigned somewhere. But unlike the NFL, these team owners do not get to pick who they want on their team. God is the assigner. Notice verse 3. It's a specific, not not a one-size-fits-all call. Notice this. And he, that's the pre-incarnate Christ, said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel. Stop right there. If I'm Ezekiel, I'm thinking, great, woo, I get to go talk to my own people. But he goes on. I send you to the people of Israel, to the nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. I want you to know that rebellious and rebelled are used eight times in chapters two and three, four of which are in this chapter. It shows the difficulty of his assignment. God is telling you, you're going to be affected, you you are going to be addressed, but you're going to also be assigned to an area that no one wants to go. They didn't want to hear the word of God. They refused and disobeyed. And the reason they were so rebellious is they'd heard it over and over and over and over and over and over again, and they wanted nothing to do with it. It's like that person who, and they have article, there's an article about a guy, uh, it's over 10 years old, I have it saved on my uh, Google Drive in the cloud, not in the clouds, you don't know what the cloud is, we'll talk later, all right? But it's saved, and it's a guy from 10 years ago down in Australia who had so many, that's what the house of Israel was like. It didn't get matter how many times you talked to them. They just kept chucking it back. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. Do you know there are some churches like this? Well, surely God's people would never churn out God's pastors, right? There are some churches who are known as pastor eaters. 
No, that's not purple monster eaters. They got beat last night. Minnesota lost. They're pastor eaters because they like the idea of having someone lead them through the things that make them feel better, the traditions they grew up with, but they don't want to care a lick about what that person has to say. And the moment that pastor starts speaking the Word of God, what happens to that pastor? It's trouble. And often they'll have a ringleader who will come up to them and say, you know what, pastor, look, we're going to hire you. But if you start going down this road and preaching on this topic, talking about this topic, trying to change this area, you're out of here. And when you know, that happens more often than not. Every Thursday afternoon, I'm on a conference call with uh, about 100 pastors from around the nation, a training from our North American Mission Board. That's happened twice in the last two months. Churches in the Deep South and Georgia, that pastors started preaching the Word of God, and within that time, they're gone. I want to thank you as a congregation that at times it's not easy to receive the Word of God, but I thank you for trying to follow the Word of God to the best of your ability. Thank you for not being pastor readers. And I don't say that just because I have to provide for my family or those things. I say that because our church desires, even as hard as it is at times, to follow the Word of God. Thank you. But it's also something that he had to hear this. So he tells them, this is a rebellious house. They're not going to listen to you. This assignment is tough. And this is, this is, they're rebellious against my glory. They're rebellious against my word. They're rebellious against my will. They're going to they're gonna do this to you. And then notice the end of verse 3. He tells them, they, he says, they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this day. We are talking over 400 years. They have done this. They've mastered the art of rebellion. They've mastered the art of going to church, saying the right things, looking spiritual. It's not a momentary lapse of old spiritual judgment. They never had spiritual sense to begin with. They're unbelievers. And I'm sending to you, he says, to those who are stubborn. When it comes, it's like waters off a duck's back. It just rolls right off there because they are hard-hearted. And your Bible may say this. They have transgressed against me to this very day. Verse 4, the descendants also, your Bible may say obstinate. Do you know any obstinate people in your life? Or impudent and stubborn. They don't care. They just want to do their thing. Even when they looked into the face of the prophet, they had it like at those hotels. They had a do not disturb sign, leave me alone, just get me in, get me out, let me go. And let me tell you, that is most of American Christianity. Give me a little bit of Jesus, give me enough to be happy, but don't give me enough Jesus that I actually have to do something about it. And that's been a problem for centuries. Friends, I want to remind you today, and, and Tori, you can throw this up, that to hear the word of the Lord is to bring a hardening of your heart. When you and I, when I study this in the week, when you hear it through the week, there is a hardening happening in your heart. Now, let me explain. What I mean by that is that no one's heart is the same under the Word of God. The Word of God is power. Do you believe that? The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. We are either growing softer to the Word of God or we're growing harder to the Word of God. The same sun that hardens the clay melts the snow, as, as an old guy used to say. And so he tells them that they are going to have a hardening of the heart. So the end of verse 4, he tells them here, he says, I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Are you King James folks? Thus saith the Lord. 
The little phrase is the entire ministry of Ezekiel, his entire call, his entire assignment is that thing. It's not my message, Israelites, it's his message. It's not me. He's appealing to the divine authority. God doesn't change his method and his message because the crowd is different. And I want to tell you, this flies in the face of the modern... Brother, I don't even know if it's that modern anymore. It's been around so many years. Uh, This flies in the present day church growth movement. Because there was a time and a day where pastors would go to doors. Hello, I'm Pastor Darren. I'm here to ask you what you would like to see in a church. You want horse riding competitions? You want a drama and a power team? You want comedians, athletes, and anything? Great! Come down to this church and we'll get that for you. Can I ask, offer you fries with that as well? Pastors went to conferences to learn from other pastors who had larger churches. Because if I can just get a little bit of what that guy has, I can go back and my job is secure and the people love me because they got what they wanted and I got what I wanted. We scratch, it's a quid pro quo. I think Dave is the legal term there. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Friends, God will not change his methods or his message for anyone. Does this mean that God can't use drama, power teams, comedians, athletes? No. But the primary reason that we gather together is to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, think about it. Let's just let's hashtag real life right now, okay? How often do you just go and sit to listen to someone talk with other people for 40 minutes without any interaction? That doesn't happen but once a week, right? Isn't that kind of odd? I mean, isn't it kind of odd that God did this for us? I mean, at least at home, when you're talking, husbands, your wife may talk your ear off for 40 minutes. That's another thing. But how often do you come together with people you don't really associate with much outside of anything else, and you listen to something? Well, why would you do that? That's just weird. You do it because God says this is his word, right? His authoritative, inspired, inerrant word. I'm going to just going to, here, I went and did some research on some old, some of these are dated. These are from John MacArthur's book, The, uh, the Go- um, I just blanked on it, Don't Be Ashamed of the Gospel. It's, it's a dated book. It's about 30 years old. That's old, by the way, Leon. I know that surprises you, but that's old, 30 years old. Here's some ads of papers that John MacArthur found many years ago. Actual words said in newspaper articles about churches. Quote, this church has no fire and brimstone. We are practical and witty. Quote, we have an informal feeling, no threats to hell or sinners, and we make you feel welcome and we don't drive you away. End quote. Quote, we have no ranting, we have no raving, and our pastor doesn't sweat, end quote. Quote, we are relevant, upbeat, and we have short sermons, and there's no sin and and condemnation, end quote. And the last one here is, we are clever, we are positive, we are brief, we are friendly, we never sweat, and we never use the H word, end quote. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Actual churches. Ezekiel 2 tells them to go and say this thing. Go and say, thus says the Lord. Notice verse 5. Well, what is the reaction going to be if he brings this message? Verse 5, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, Ezekiel, you're called to be faithful. You're called to do what I say, not successful, but faithful. Those aren't always opposite, but in this case, to be faithful. For they are a rebellious house they will know that a prophet has been among them. Listen, God's word is not conditioned upon the listener's response. 
As a parent, I struggle with this at times. I'm a people pleaser. I like to make my kids happy. Every parent goes through the struggle. You don't want to not give them something because you know the reaction that's going to happen. But God tells Ezekiel, I don't give a lick what they do to you or say about me. You go and do what I assigned you to do. That's it. Yes, sir. He was to speak it anyway. Do you remember when Jeremiah was told not even to pray for those people in Jeremiah chapter 9? God said, even if you pray for them, I'm not going to listen to your prayers for them. What a meanie God he is. Thumbs down emoji and angry emoji face if you're on your phones. Guys, God is good. He's already warned these people for 400 On that day of judgment, when God calls the world to account, we have to remember that no one is going to be exempt from the truth that he is God. We all give an account. But I want you to notice, fourthly, that not only will he be assigned, but he will be assured. You will be assured. Because I don't know about you, if I'm Ezekiel right now, I'm thinking, God, can I just take the Hawaii job, please? Can I go to somewhere place with beaches and candlelight dinners and all that sort of thing? But I want you to know, look at verse 6. God tells him he knows what's ahead of him. He tells him, and you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor of their words. This would be an easy place to cave in. Don't fear their words. Don't fear their accusations, Ezekiel. Don't fear their verbal attacks. Don't fear the, the fear-mongering they throw out at you at social media. Fear them. Don't fear what they'll do to you physically. All you need to do is put God first and leave the results to him. He goes on. He says in verse 6, Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. This is not a literal image. That would hurt a lot, wouldn't it? I don't know if I'd fear the people more. Those little scorpions kind of claw me every two seconds. But it's a picture here of the persecution that awaits him. The prickling him like thorns and sitting on like, like these. He, he basically is telling modern-day language, Ezekiel, you need to remember that these people are of the devil. These people aren't God people, they're devilish people. And you shall speak my words whether they listen or not. Look at verse 7. And you shall speak my words whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. And, and, and Tori, if you want to go ahead and put this up, I want to remind you today, that God is with you when you are faithful to him, and he's with you when you're not. Timothy reminds us, Blake Loy preached on this over four years ago, that when we are faithless, he is faithful, isn't he? That's what the scripture says. But he also had to be reminded that his assurance was, this is going to happen, but I am with you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid of them. How, where do you get the assurance out of that? He tells him, don't fear. He don't fear them. So, well, who should he fear? He should fear God. But as a Christian, our assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably His heart is set on us. Guys, you may fail, but God's love for you never changes. God may call you this year to do something that you've never done in His grace, and let me tell you that you need to be reminded of this. You need to be assured of this. Every time you share the gospel, every time you step out in faith, the devil has put a bullseye on your back to go and get you. But Darren, I only serve water and cookies in the back. Does the devil hate me? Well, if that sugar gets used for God's glory, you better believe he's going to have a target on your back. 
I don't care where you serve. I don't care if you're wiping babies' bottoms for the rest of your life here at Towerview. If that's what God calls you to do, you're going to do it, and Satan's going to hate you for it because you can do even that to the glory of God, can't you? Wherever he calls you, he is with you. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the what? Until the age. And some of you know that, and you still struggle with, does God still love me? Does he love me? Does he love me not? Does he love me? Does he love me not? He does. What a great joy that is. Because there are days that we're not lovable, but God still loves us still. What a joy it is. You will be assured. Last thing is this. Not only will you be assured, you'll be assigned. You'll be affected. You'll be addressed. But finally, verse, uh, verses 7 and 8 here, he t- or 8 through 10, he says, you'll be attended to. Look back at verse 8. I want you to see this. And, and notice what God just works logically through this. He, he tells him what it is. He lays out where he's going. He tells him what to expect. He tells him he's going to be with him. But notice what he tells him to do. But you. Why is that but there? That but is there because he's supposed to be different than those around him. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Hear what I say. Give God his attention and listen to what he says. He's the master of the word, and Ezekiel is to be saturated with the word. This will be the strength of his life. Tori, if you want to go ahead and put that up, that'd be great. This God who knows where you have been called knows you will share many tears, shed many tears, Ezekiel. But Christian, we look back at this and we know that that tear-wiping hand of God who's with you when all the stuff is hard comes to us freely because the wrath-bearing hand of God came to us fully. It is only because of Jesus coming and dying, being buried, being resurrected, that we have access to God that He will attend to us. Because we don't deserve it. We don't grant it. We don't have it. It's only by His grace. And he tells Ezekiel, listen up. Put your listening ears on, man. Here it is. And he goes on to say, remember, don't be rebellious like this house. Don't be rebellious, verse 8, like this house. But open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, that's every toddler parent's dream, isn't it? You're going to eat your vegetables. You're going to eat your fruit. You're going to eat your vitamins. You're definitely... We've had sickness at our house this week. We've had that, that refusal of, I don't want to take my medicine. You're going to take your medicine. You know, you're like prod open the jaws of life and force it down. And, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. But this isn't real food. It's not food that's physical, but it's, it's the internalizing of everything he says. Ezekiel, I'm going to give you the words to say. Ezekiel, I'm going to give you my very word. And what food is to be to the body is what my word is to be to your ministry. And this is the next great thing. Look at verse 9. Guys, remember, a vision is a real thing. It's actually happening in front of his eyes, but no one else can see. He's not asleep like Joseph and Mary. He's fully awake. Look at verse 9. And it says, a hand, when I looked, when I, Ezekiel, looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. I want you to think about this for a second. Whose hand is stretched out to him? It's Jesus' hand. You say, what? What? Did the Midwestern Baptist Seminary teach this stuff? Yeah, they did. Because, guys, this is literally, who is talking to him in the vision? It's the pre-incarnate Christ. Who's the one reaching his hand down to him? It's Jesus himself. You say, how does that work? We need to have a class on this sometime. You have to take me at my word here. But he says in verse 9, he looked and behold, a hand stretched out to him. What assurance. 
Isn't it nice to know whatever you're facing, whatever God has called you to do, His hand is right there with you, guiding your way. Church, as we navigate the waters of things, of bylaws, budget, business meetings, ministry, plans, do we tear down these buildings? Do we bring new buildings? What do we do? Great questions. We're working on it. Thank you for your patience. We're not trying to hold out on anything. But I want to remind you that the hand of the Lord is with us as long as we're faithful to whatever He's called us to do. And even when we're not. But especially when we're faithful. Well, I'll save that for another time. This is a supernatural experience. And He gives him a scroll. A real scroll. That's kind of weird. It's like the hand reaching through a TV, like, read this book. You know, it's kind of, whoa, what is that? But he spreads it out before him. He now unrolls the scrolls. You know, those scrolls were like two uh, uh, roller dough things, dough, dough roller thingies. I, Peggy's going to correct me at, at busy hands on Tuesday because I never get the words for cooking right. But it's like one of those things he spreads out. But I want you to notice he says he's to eat it. What does that mean? you notice that? Verse 10. He goes on to say, open your mouth. And he spread it before me. And he, and he basically tells him, he spread it before me. And, and, and so what is, it, what is this? Well, this is literally the word of God. God has so much to say that it takes a scroll written front and back and so long and so much that Ezekiel has no other message to give except that. He'll never run out of messages to give. As God's hand is literally with him, God gives him everything he needs to say. Do you know being a pastor is actually kind of easy? Kind of. All I have to do is tell you what that book says. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? But the scrolls back then were written in such a way that when you opened it, you only read the front. But God had so much to say, he had to put it on the front, he had to put it on the back. And he basically tells Ezekiel, I'm going to be with you. Here's your task. Go at it. That's why every Sunday, guys, I pray you don't hear a message from my heart. I pray you don't hear a message that I heard on the radio someday of cute, quaint illustrations. I pray you hear the Word of God. I pray whoever steps on this pulpit, you hear the Word of God. Because there's so much in that Scripture that we can't live out, but we have to go through, it's never going to get boring. That's why when pastors come and be like, I don't know what to preach anymore. I've preached the whole Bible. Well, good for you, brother. I don't know what you're preaching, but man, you sure went fast. Guys, the Word of God is endless. What a joy. We're going to go through this book, and it's going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. But one thing is going to become clearer, clearer, and clearer. God is who he is. We are who we are. Let's be faithful. Let's love him. Let's go and do whatever he's asked us to do. And we're going to be okay. Will you bow with me as we close this morning? Father, as we come before you today on this uh, very snowy day, missing a lot of our regular folks, Father, who aren't with us today uh, because of the weather. Father, I just pray, whatever, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word, your spirit, to each individual here. Father, maybe it is a new job that you're calling them to. Maybe it's to stay in a job that they don't want to be in. Maybe it's to, 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 to bring someone in their home they're not sure they should. Maybe it's to step up in the church in a different way. Whatever it is, it's not as dramatic, perhaps, in the way that you spoke to Ezekiel and the vision and all the, 
all the uh, supernatural experience that he had, Lord. But Father, you still have called us specifically to a task. Whatever that is, Father, I pray we are faithful to it. Father, churn the fire of those who are. Give wisdom to those who need it. But Father, may we be faithful. Thank you that you are with us. Father, I pray for our church, Tower View Baptist Church, 7301 Northeast 50th here in Kansas City. Pray for our neighborhood, for Maple Park behind us, for Grace Moore, for Clay Como, for, for Randolph Corner just down, 435 and 210. Father, what is it that you would use our church this year to do? How can we be faithful to see people come to Christ? Father, that's our prayer. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your grace. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God, amen.